Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football and part two of our fantasy free agency wrap-up. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined again today. If you missed last week's or yesterday's episode, you can just scroll back and find it. But joined again once more 24 hours later, none other than the man himself, friend in life, doing projections in the back end through free agency, John Paulson. Paulson, 24 hours removed from our last episode. How are you doing? How are you holding up with more signings on the way? A uh, long time no see, John. Uh, it seems like uh, a week has happened uh, in the free agency world since we last spoke. But uh, yeah, a lot to talk about today. There is golf occurring. There is March Madness occurring. Uh, luckily, I am one of the minority individuals who don't watch college basketball and don't really pay attention to NBA to the playoffs. So we are still cruising here. And I want to start with some very, very big news that happened out of Dallas. And that, is, of course, is the Ezekiel Elliott tenure coming to an end. Prior to last year, the most 100-yard games of any running back of the last four years. A uh, illustrious career, honestly, for Zeke. But, as we know, a nuisance for fantasy the past two seasons because, really, he is who held Tony Pollard back. Pollard, of course, franchise tagged. So, no guarantee he's a long-term answer there. But what we've seen in drafting so far, the past 48 hours since Zeke was cut, that Pollard is now, in that time, the RB13 and underdog, being drafted at the end of the third round. And remember... Pollard has made three career starts without Elliott in Dallas, and he finishes the RB1, RB3, and RB7 overall in those three games. So your thoughts now on Tony Pollard and where he should be drafted without Elliott in 2023? Yeah, he's really good. So I don't, you know, I, I would like to ask you as part of this conversation, maybe you can think about it. Who right now would you rather have uh, to draft if everybody's on the board, rather have over Tony Pollard? Because you know, you said that uh, Zeke was a nuisance, and he was sort of a nuisance, but Tony Pollard still finished as the fantasy RB7 last year, and that was with Zeke playing a lot of games. So I've got him right now at RB7. He's been creeping up uh, from maybe the 11 spot to uh, as this Zeke stuff has progressed uh, because I don't think that they're going to add somebody that's going to see – the workload that Zeke saw. So just looking in a one-year horizon here with Pollard, uh, with whoever they add, uh, he looks really strong uh, in terms of fantasy value as the RB13 going in the third round. I'd be very happy with that. I think in our mock draft, I got him in the fourth round, or our site mock draft, I got him in the fourth round. I took Alexander Madison later. So that, that mock team that's not going to count for anything looks really good. <laughs> right now but uh you know the only thing that i could see really submarining his value from where it stands right now is if like if the if the cowboys decide to draft Bijan robinson and you know pair them together and in, in a similar type backfield as what we saw last year with with Bijan being a lot better than than zeke Elliott is right now a long way of answering your question is that I have obviously been updating the available carries and running back touches tracker for free for everyone listening on 44.com these last three, four days through free agency and post Zeke cut. And this is updated through Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern. So pretty up to date as I'm speaking, the Cowboys suddenly became fifth in most available 
running back carries missing from last season, sixth and most available touches missing from last season, and now are just second overall in available carries inside the five-yard line. The Lions lead the way, obviously, because of Jamal Williams exiting with 29 carries, a league high missing from last year inside the five. Cowboys right there at second with 16. And so to answer your question, right now, Pollard being the RB13, yes, a value. Yes, I consider him a top 10 running back. And honestly, I can see him going and being drafted as high as RB6 overall, right behind or alongside Saquon Barkley as the RB5. Because ahead of him, Kenneth Walker, who we know was boomer bust last year, we would have to hope their run blocking gets better. And Walker actually just gets better and more consistent and earns more targets along the way in 2023. Brees Hall, we still have the torn ACL question and him bouncing back. He's the RB7 right now. They're trying to trade Derrick Henry, the Titans reportedly are, as the RB8. Nick Chubb, I think, is undervalued as well as the RB9 since it doesn't look like we'll get Kareem Hunt back Cleveland. And then Jacobs, of course, I don't want to be the one, as well as he played last year, to chase the running back who's fresh off a league high 394 touches. So honestly, I think Waller has a case to be drafted beginning of second round. So of course I'm pouncing on him every single chance I get. Now the question Paulson becomes, do the Cowboys add another player? Because I can certainly see that with practically only Malik Davis and Kadri Allison behind him on the roster right now. Bijan Robinson certainly in play with that mid-20s pick the Cowboys have as well. So if you don't think Dallas adds another running back, I think we have to value Pollard significantly higher. Yeah, and they're going to probably add someone. It's just a question as to is he Pollard's backup or is he going to be the 1A or 1B to Pollard. I mean, Pollard's not the biggest guy. So that's the probably the concern that the, the Cowboys have is that they can't give him 300, 350 touches and uh, be confident that he's going to make it through the season and be there for them in the playoffs. So they're probably going to want to find a big body, you know, somebody like uh, Jamal Williams uh, or somebody in the draft like that who can take some of the pounding and take some of the load off of Pollard. But I, there's no, I mean, the ceiling is no longer, there's no limit to what he in terms of in a weekly basis, what how many touches he could see in any given week, because they're not going to be force feeding Ezekiel Elliott because they're paying him, you know, millions and millions of dollars uh, every year. So uh, I right now have him at seven behind McCaffrey, Eckler, and Eckler situation is pretty up in the air. I do like Nick Chubb a lot with Kareem Hunt likely moving on, right? He's uh, you mentioned Chubb and Hunt. Uh, as far as I know, Hunt's going to move on. Derek Henry. Uh, Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor. And I think you can make a case that Pollard is a top five. If, But we just don't know who that second piece, the complimentary piece is going to be. And that's the one question mark, I think, with Tony Pollard. We don't know, but in terms of what is actionable at this very moment, we both agree and see eye to eye that everyone should pull the trigger on Pollard in that third round range immediately. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's only going to increase as we move forward. And a move that... A lot of people consider a wash. The Patriots losing Jacoby Myers, of course, to the Raiders for three-year, $33 million contract. And then New England brings on Juju Smith-Schuster to take that big slot role on the same deal, basically. Three years, $33 million. Myers did get roughly three more million guaranteed with Las Vegas than Juju did. But at the same time, I do think it's interesting because you don't think – Juju can improve on that situation, perhaps. But Juju actually ranks 29th in all 
in yards per route run among all slot wide receivers last year, whereas Jacoby Myers ranked 42nd. So what are your thoughts on Juju now joining this Patriots offense? Uh, you know, I think this is a wash for the Patriots. Like, I think Jacoby Myers and Juju Smith-Schuster are probably similar talents. Uh, you know, Myers might be a little bit better in my mind. Uh, but, there, you know, Juju's had good seasons, had great seasons uh, with uh, with the Steelers and did fairly well last year, even though it was a very spread-it-around offense for the Chiefs. You know, I, I, I you plug him in to that offense, and I think he's probably going to deliver about what Jacoby Myers delivered. And he always was was ranked as a wide receiver three, wide receiver four type, depending on uh, the matchup and kind of what was going on with their other receivers there in terms of health. So that's where I have Juju. I don't think it's some major, major signing where he's going to post wide receiver two type numbers or wide receiver one type numbers, uh, just given what he's done the last few seasons. Uh, but, you know, there's not a big drop off in talent there from Smith-Schuster and to Myers. And you could argue maybe Smith-Schuster is a little bit better uh, I think it's kind of a wash. Um, so I, I'm looking at him as like sort of a low-end wide receiver three right now in the never-too-early rankings. Okay, and right now he is being drafted as the wide receiver 50. So basically someone you consider to be a value on underdog at the moment, given that he's being drafted as a wide receiver five, basically. Yeah, I mean, he's going from a very complimentary role to probably seeing the most targets in that Patriots offense unless they do something drastic at the receiver position. So it is an upgrade for him. Nelson Aguilar and Devontae Parker still unrestricted free agents as we speak. One of the most interesting signings, in my opinion, and a win is none other than Miles Sanders in Carolina because not only recruited and reunited with running backs coach Deuce Staley with the Panthers, who had a hand in drafting Sanders with Philadelphia four years ago, but $13 million guaranteed speaks volumes considering it's Two million more than David Montgomery received with Detroit, and the most of any free agent running back so far on the market. Not to mention that I think there's a sneaky upside here, Paulson, because Miles Sanders' target share started at 10% his rookie year with the Eagles and has only declined every passing season to a career low 5% last year with Philadelphia. And so you would think, even with Staley mentioning he wants to use two or three running backs, that there certainly has to be an intriguing ceiling here for Sanders. So what are your thoughts on him and this new offense? Yeah, that's what I was going to mention with it, because it is a downgrade. Sorry for stealing your plot. Oh, no, you're you're underlining it. So it's, you know, it's a downgrade from an offensive line powerhouse offense type of a situation. Because you, you look at the, the Eagles and he went from zero touchdowns to 11 touchdowns last year. He went from 754 yards rushing to 1,269 yards rushing. You know, he's always been a pretty high yards per carry guy. He's averaging 5.0 as a, on a career. But what you mentioned is the upside, is the sneaky upside, is the catches. So can he get out of this rut where he has been sub-30 catches per year? He had 28. Uh, well, he had 50 as a rookie. <laughs> so he can catch the ball. Uh, 20, 28 uh, in 2020, 26 in 2021, and then 20 in 2022. And it's just not a big function of the, you know, the running backs don't have a big role as pass catchers. Uh, in that offense, other than maybe Kenneth Gainwell and the occasional pass to to uh, Sanders or uh, Boston Scott, so if he comes in and is now they're looking at him and giving him this this uh, 
this contract and are looking at him as the bell cow as opposed to just being the lead back. I mean, you, you 259 carries, uh, 20 catches, so 279 touches, which is a lot, but it's not bell cow type workload. If they if they get him over 300 or approaching 350, and now we're adding, you know, 20 catches to where he's cresting uh, 40 catches in a season, there is some sneaky upside here that could offset a lot of this loss that he's likely to see in terms of rushing touchdowns. You know, I doubt he's going to see 11 again, but maybe he can get six to eight and then get three or four uh, as a receiver and kind of offset that. And then the yardage as well, because he's probably not going to rush for 1269 as a runner, though he might if they if they do treat him as a true bell cow. And the good news for Sanders and fantasy, at least, is that the Panthers are now reportedly out on bringing back Deontay Foreman since Sanders basically takes that role. Another signing from the Panthers I think it's just odd because was Hayden Hurst going to land a, a good job after proving himself with a high floor receiving tight end with Joe Burrow last year? Of course. But I didn't expect him to get a three-year deal with $13 million guaranteed. That's quite a bit for a tight end. Uh, of course, just two years ago, the Patriots gave far more, $25-plus million guaranteed to both Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. We'll get to that situation in a moment. But right now, what are you thinking with Hayden Hurst in terms of fantasy mid round tight end late round tight end considering we are expecting him to play with CJ Stroud most likely. Yeah. I mean, this is a downgrade for him uh, going from Joe Burrow and that, and that Bengals offense to uh, being the likely the starting tight end for the Panthers. They have Tommy trouble there. Who's I think sub 200 yards receiving in his first two seasons, but is a pretty good athlete. And, you know, it does take, a few years for these tight ends to really emerge. Uh, that's the toughest position, I think, to come in as a rookie uh, and succeed as a fantasy asset or as a real player. So, you know, maybe tr this is going to, this is certainly a setback for Trumbull in terms of his playing time. Uh, as for Hurst, you know, I have him ranked 19 right now. He's sort of, you know, Gerald Everett's a free agent. He's at 18. Tyler Higby at 17. Uh, Chig Okonkwo is at 16. Uh, Komet, 15. So he's in that group of, you know, below that group of tight end twos. He's going to play a lot. He'll probably see 60 to 80 targets, catch a few touchdowns, but he's not somebody that you're going to want to run out there every week. And, and I think at his peak this year, Hurst was a pretty good, valuable streamer in that tight end eight to tight end 12 range when there were some injuries uh, to the Bengals and uh, he was seeing the, maybe the third most targets in that offense. As Monty mentions in the chat, Hurst, 13 million guaranteed, or as Evan Ingram, because of the franchise tag being so low for tight ends, 11 and a half million basically full and fully guaranteed this upcoming year. Also, Dalton Schultz has also been linked to the Bengals ever since Hurst signed elsewhere. Another interesting signing is that the Saints allowed Mark Ingram to walk in free agency and instead go out and grab Jamal Williams, a three year relatively inexpensive $12 million contract, $8 million guaranteed, which two things. One tells you how much the Lions wanted David Montgomery. We talked about it yesterday, but again, very worrisome for DeAndre Swift that the Lions went over the top with three more guaranteed for Montgomery when they could have brought back a player who just rushed for 1,000 yards and 17 touchdowns, led the league in rushing touchdowns for $3 million less guaranteed. And I would think, Paulson, two 
is that this is now the pad that the Saints wanted to create just in case Alvin Kamara misses those four to six games this year. Your thoughts on Williams? Yeah, that's the big question, right? With with Kamara, I'm, I'm ranking these guys, and I've got Williams ahead, uh, but I don't have him that high. I have him at 32, and I've got Kamara at uh, 38, and I just don't know where to rank Kamara because we just don't know what sort of suspension he's going to end up with. I mean, he could see a very significant suspension, more more than the four to six that you're suggesting, or it could be less. I don't know. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if you know, given how bad uh, the videotape could look. Uh, depending on who you, you know your perspective on things that he could see you know 10 games or more so you, you you look at Williams and there's a couple paths for him to really return value I don't know where he's going in underdog right now I it can't be too high even though he scored 17 touchdowns last year uh, I don't think that people are a big believer in his pure talent as a runner he's more of a compiler in terms he you know he gets the touches and he gets a lot of those goal line touches now how many touchdowns or how many one-yard carries is he going to have for the Saints compared to what he had last year uh, for the Lions? I mean, he had so many carries inside the two, inside the three for the Lions. Are the Saints going to move the ball that well? Are they going to be in the red zone that often? Uh, so you, you you look at him as probably an, maybe an eight to ten touchdown as his you know ceiling, uh, unless something really happens with that Saints offense and it takes off. So. That said, he is able to catch the ball as well. So it's just like the question is, how many times is he going to be the starter? And how many times is he going to see 15-plus touches? And that really goes back to Kamara's health or his suspension uh, that is sure to come. Something has to come this year now, given the fact that it got pushed through last season and the video's out. Uh, I would think something happens this year. So if he misses eight games... Now you have Jamal Williams maybe as an 11th round pick starting at least eight games, not to mention the chances that he's starting with Kamara injured or he's just seeing 10 to 15 touches and a pretty big role as the uh, sidekick to, to Kamara. Not to mention that Taysom Hill led the team just last year, not Kamara, and carries inside the 10-yard line. And now we've seen the last two seasons, Kamara's handled 78% and 77% of the team's backfield touches. So even if and when he's available this year, I would imagine this kind of deal for a workhorse player who does all the scrappy things right that coaches love, like Jamal Williams, guarantees that Kamara doesn't approach that share of backfield touches this year either. So being drafted at... 7.9, mid-seventh round, basically, right now for Kamara on underdog, I still think it's slightly too high. There's upside. Uh, it just... It, there it is really upside, depends. and, yeah. and uh, for large field tournaments, like, you know, we're still waiting on the BBM, of course, to launch, but we've seen two years in a row now from Liam Murphy's uh, winning BBM2 lineup to Pat Corain's winning BBM3 lineup. It really does take leveraging players at low ownership in the playoff weeks, basically weeks 14 through 17. And honestly, if everyone's then not going to draft Kamara because he's going to get suspended, to your point, we should probably then draft Kamara in these large field tournaments because he's going to be a low rostered player with upside for playoff weeks. Yeah, he's likely going to be available for the second half of the season. Not for sure, but likely. And we know he's talented. So, you know, seventh, eighth round, that sounds reasonable for the discount that you're getting. You just have to get through those first, you know, six, eight, four, whatever it is, weeks 
where you have one fewer uh, running back on your roster because of what's going on, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to draft them both, both Kamara and Jamal Williams, and you're kind of locking up your running back spot. Another spot you nailed perfectly, hats off to you, is because you've mentioned Alexander Madison potentially re-signing with Minnesota given the rumors surrounding Dalvin Cook. The Vikings, of course, as mentioned yesterday, can save $7.9 million against the cap by trading Dalvin, can also save $5.9 million by just outright releasing him, which we are still somewhat expecting to see given his career low 15 and a half carries per game with Minnesota last year. At Madison, of course, re-signed to a two-year, $7 million contract, being drafted in the 12th round right now. And given that we are taking chances this early in best ball leagues, the 12th round, Paulson, is far too low for Madison. No, what's going on right now with the, with his uh, ADP is that people are drafting him where they drafted him last year, but the situation is completely different. Uh, Dalvin Cook is no... like Last year, Dalvin Cook was expected to be the the Vikings RB1 and was a sure thing to be the Vikings RB1 if he were healthy. And Madison was still going 12th, 13th round last year. And now the drafters are taking the same approach with him, even though he's a free agent. And Dalvin Cook, he's not a free agent anymore, but he was heading into this draft season. And Dalvin Cook was rumored to be cut. And there's all sorts of trade rumors, you know, different teams that were in on him trying to trade for him. I think the Vikings are trying to get something out of Dalvin Cook and would like to hand the keys. The smart thing to do is, you know, get something out of Dalvin Cook, hand the keys over to Madison and draft, you know, another running back to back up Madison. Because Madison has, every time he's had a chance, and you, I think you tweeted out some numbers about his chances of starting. Every time he's had a chance to start, almost every time. I think there was a 11 carry, 30 yard, to keep him honest. That was that, uh, it was his first start, to be fair, yeah. for Cook, yeah. Uh, every time he's seen, uh, you know, enough touches, he has really, really produced. I think I tweeted out some splits. There's 14 games where he's seen at least 10 carries. I think he averaged 13 uh, half PPR fantasy points. Those are low-end RB1 numbers. Uh, one of the, my favorite things to do when Madison's getting the start is, is to rank him higher than everybody else because I know he's going to outproduce what people think. And, you know, I don't know where his his ADP is going to go right now because Dalvin Cook is still on the roster. But I would assume the people that are drafting at, at underdog know what's going on and are, you know, sharps and are, you know, looking at this, you know, what is Madison's upside? I can't imagine he's going to be lasting until the 12th round now that the, the Vikings have locked him up. I mean, it, it certainly looks to me like Cook is on the way out one way or the other and Madison's going to be the starting running back this year. And even if... He surges in the next 48 hours to the 10th round, let's say. If we Still are taking ch- if we were taking chances, yeah, and we're assuming Cook's cut, it's far too low. You can honestly push Madison into the low-end RB1, high-end RB2 range if we think he's going to handle every touch. As you mentioned, his last five starts in place of Dalvin Cook, Madison has averaged 25.9 touches per game. So it's just a workhorse, obvious smash spot to continue selecting him at that ADP range right now until it surges accordingly. Let's calm down now because we've had some fun talking (laughs) about these last few players and mention that Jonu Smith, who did have career highs with the Titans last we saw before he signed with the Patriots, does at least get to reunite with Arthur Smith in Atlanta for a seventh round pick. That's it. 
So this isn't really a Janu question. This is a question about your thoughts right now on Kyle Pitts, given that Kyle Pitts is still going to start the sixth round. Smith now has a player he's familiar with, an explosive player too, nonetheless. So where do you have Kyle Pitts seeing that the fantasy points just have not matched the profile in his first two years in the league? Pitts is tough to rank because you you see the talent there. You don't want to, as a ranker, you don't want to be so low on him that your entire subscriber base misses out on him when he does fall a bit in drafts. Because I do feel like if he if he slips, you know, past that tight end six spot, tight end seven spot, which is un, not often, that he's a you know worth a shot there because of just the way the tight end position is is like is these days. I mean, the, the landscape is ugly there. You, you have Travis Kelsey and then a bunch of, uh, you know, tier two type guys. And then anybody, uh, if anybody's going to usurp Kelsey, it, he's going to have to fall off a little bit due to his age. And Pitts is one of those guys that has the talent to do it. If Arthur Smith like decides to make it happen, you know, if they are able to get good quarterback play and they got Desmond Ritter right now, you know, entering a second season, are, are they going to go with him? And then now you're adding John U. Smith to the to the mix. They're very run heavy as it stands, and uh, you also have Drake London. So it's tough. Like I I think I feel like whenever I'm drafting, Pitts is going before I'm willing to take him. You look at Pitts just versus Evan Ingram. Like, what's the right? Let's say you can get Ingram one round later. That seems like the better deal and the smarter move because of what Engram did last year, his role in that offense. We know he's talented. He, maybe he's not the physical talent that Cal Pitts is or have as much upside, but when is Pitts going to realize this upside? Didn't happen this year. And I do still somewhat worry about Evan Ingram too, now that we ha add Calvin Ridley to the mix. And Ingram's depth of target, 6.4 yards, still finished 29th among our tight ends because – they didn't really give him explosive plays. What they did to at least give him a high floor for fantasy is concertedly scheme his targets near the line of scrimmage. Like that's why he had just 16.4% of the Jacksonville's targets, uh, eighth most among tight ends or eighth fewest considering how you look at it. So it's not really like he's getting deep throws. But the issue with Pitts is that everyone cites his air yards last year. Uh, Pitts, of course, recorded... Uh, was one of only three tight ends to record 30% of his team's air yards. But that's what we consider prairie yards, Paulson, because they don't come to fruition when you have an inaccurate quarterback. And the part that everyone's mentioning is that, yes, Pitts no longer has Marcus Mariota, who had a poor, uncatchable pass rate. But Desmond Ritter's uncatchable pass rate over the last month of the season was actually worse than Marcus Mariota's, albeit slightly. So it's not like the situation gets better, in my opinion, barring some seismic sophomore developmental year from Ritter. And that's why I just genuinely still don't mind ignoring Pitts right now. I really don't, even in the sixth round. Yeah, just to put a put a button on the, the Pitts discussion, I just you know pulled up our fantasy points browser, sorted by average score, you know, points per game. He came in 20th. And you know who's ahead of him? Jordan Akins. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Akins, who basically only started the last two months of the season. Jordan Akins averaged 6.5 and Kyle Pitts 6.2. Now, Jordan Akins is a pretty good athlete, but you know, you're, you're not like you don't want to be drafting a guy this, you know, too early in the draft that is was outscored on a per game basis by Jordan Akins last year. That's just my 
philosophy on that. I mean, Engram is up at 8.3. He's tight end to eight, uh, you know, so that's tough. Like you, you gotta, you really have to project a lot of growth. Um, and I, you know, Pitts will be, Pitts is a fun guy to draft. I think on draft day, you put him on your roster. You're, you, you're looking at maybe the, the ceiling on draft day and you're like, Oh man, I got a weapon at tight end. And then you're running him out there and he's getting three targets a game and not scoring. And it really gets really, really frustrating. So I, I'll probably draft him in a, you know, one or two leagues just to do it. But uh, I don't think he's going to be one of my most owned players or most uh, rostered players next year. The Patriots also shook up their backfield and adding James Robinson to a two-year, $4 million contract. And this isn't a conversation about Robinson, really. Yes, Robinson did average four and a half yards per carry in his first three games of Jacksonville last year. So much so that I believe I capitulated on a podcast and just took an L on it. But then we saw from week four on that torn ACL wall hit uh, and post recovery and that he averaged just 3.3 yards per carry from that point forward across both Jacksonville and with the Jets. The conversation, though, is really about Ramondre Stevenson because Stevenson right now is going one spot ahead of Tony Pollard as an RB1, RB12 overall and underdog. So does this affect your ranking of Stevenson at all? I would say, like right now, I am. I would have been wor- more worried about Damian Harris than I am about James Robinson. I think James Robinson. Uh, I'm, ro- I'm rooting for him. It's a great story, you know, coming in as a rookie, doing what he did, and then now tearing his. Uh, was it was it his Achilles? Uh, I thought it was his Achilles. Uh, but he, you know, everybody Achilles, assumed yes. he. Yeah, he. Everybody assumed he was going to be terrible because running backs can't overcome Achilles, and then all of a sudden in the preseason he was, you know practicing fully he had a pretty good start to the season three touchdowns or four touchdowns in his first three games and then as you mentioned you know didn't crack he only cracked uh, 50 yards rushing once over his next six or seven games and uh you know spent a lot of time just either inactive or whatever uh they traded him uh as well so you know, I think a year removed, the Patriots are looking at Robinson as the replacement for Harris, a cheaper replacement probably for Harris and uh, just to, to work as Stevenson's um, Stevenson's backup. And I, I think that there, there are times where a veteran like this gets, it gets signed and it's actually looked at and it should be looked at as a bonus for the guy who's, you know, I don't think, I don't think Steven's going to be, Stevenson's going to be under any pressure. Like he might be from a, a second round rookie or something if, if the Patriots went to the draft and and got him or maybe got a David Montgomery or, uh, you know, somebody like that. So I think uh, this is actually good news for, for Stevenson. I think he's, you know, right there in that the RB one mix again this year. And finally, we talked about the giants absolutely not being done at adding receiver. And they went out and struck a one year, 3 million contract with Paris Campbell worth up to 7 million because they tied his, all of his incentives to basically be performance-based, given that last year was the first time in his career he played a full season of games. And so now we look up for this Giants team that reportedly isn't even done in adding receivers, supposed to be more coming on the way in the market, and have Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, who of course only 10 appearances the past two years, but a Matt Harmon favorite and did average 7.7 targets in those 10 starts. Also, Isaiah Hodgins, who was cut from the Bills after the first month of the year and made a real name for himself in New York, especially through the playoffs. And Wondell Robinson suffered a torn ACL in the first month of his career. So how do you rank these possession receivers, basically, 
for New York to stack with Daniel Jones. Well, I think right now, and then where's Richie James? Is he a free agent? He is I a think free he agent. Probably is. Yeah. So and, you're looking and at all those names I just said, by the way, we talked about it last week, so everyone can, or yesterday, so everyone can go back and listen. But I think all those names means that Darren Waller also has a smash chance to lead the Giants in targets. Yeah, that's feasible if he could stay healthy. I mean, his health is if obviously yes. a big thing. With yeah, he's a big. That's his big thing. Uh, yeah, right now I would rank them: Hodgins, Shepard, and Robinson. I think Robinson long term has the most upside, but he's coming off of uh, ACL, I believe. Uh, so, how, how quickly does he start the season? Shepard's been really solid whenever he's been healthy, but again, he's he's an injury bugaboo type guy as well. Uh, but they do need, I think, one more. If they get one more, either a good rookie or a, I don't know what's available out there in the free agent market. It wasn't a good free agent class. Um, so I don't know that free agency is the, the the key for them. So if they can if they can get somebody in the draft that has some upside, then now you're dealing with a good rookie, Hodgins, Shepard, Robinson, and Waller. And that's not a bad group if everybody's healthy and uh, you know, you're comparing it to what they had last year. So I, I think this is all pointing up for Daniel Jones to at least get those passing numbers up to a more respectable level and then add that to his very good ability to run the ball. And then you're, you're sort of projecting him in year two with Brian Dable as, as taking another step forward. I mean, I think this was a good, it was a successful season, I think for Dable and, and Jones together. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I hope they're not done, uh, you know, because they are losing Darius Slayton, He's a free agent, I believe. So, if he's off, then you got to sort of replace him. And he was actually pretty good. Uh, he he kind of carried the the receiving through the midseason uh, before Hodgins kind of took off. I should also note: twenty five quarterbacks attempted at least two hundred and forty passes from eleven personnel, three wide sets last year. And Daniel Jones was the only quarterback among those twenty five to be pressured on at least forty percent of his throws. So. At least with a six and a half yard depth of target, not sexy, but can help move the chains. And we want that. We want more plays. We want more possessions for our offenses that we stack. So if Campbell's healthy, I do think the fit makes sense. And finally, just some ancillary notes before we get out of here to clean up the last 48 hours. Braxton Berrios, a one-year deal to reunite with Mike White also play in Dolphins three wide sets. And I do think there's a chance he walks into three wide sets since both Trent Sherfield and, oh, I forgot to write down the other receiver. Uh, the third receiver for the Dolphins are free agents. I'll come back with it in a minute. Uh, Deontay Hardy, two-year, $7.5 million deal, basically when you look at the contract, to join the Bills as a deep threat. Hardy only made four appearances because of a toe injury last year, but from 2020 and 2021 with New Orleans, 41% of his catches did go for 10-plus yards. So another explosive threat with Josh Allen you can stack in the last rounds. And then Chase Edmonds joining this Bucks backfield, which now have, in Rashad White as well, two running backs that finished bottom 10 in next-gen stats, rushing yards over expected last year. Any thoughts on those three? randos as the chat calls them for fantasy yeah i think the guy you're thinking of for miami was cedric wilson yes thank you yes okay. i believe he, he's part of the cut that yeah one of their third wide receivers that didn't he make was a what yeah he was a one-year deal i think right that's it uh, yeah. before they traded for uh tyree kill uh you know barrios has 
some slot ability. Uh, so, you know, he'll be, uh, I think, a good fit with – they got some some small receivers there in, in Miami with uh, Hill and Waddle and, and now Berrios. But Hardy, I think two years ago, was sixth in yards per route run, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he had a good season there. He wasn't many targets, 50-something targets, I believe. Uh, and Edmonds, I don't want to talk about him anymore. I thought he was a great sleeper for the Dolphins last year, and that did not pan out at all. Uh, but uh, where did he land, Edmonds? Bucks. So okay, basically, so yeah, so, with Leonard Fournette officially released, him and Rashad White making up that tandem right. So I, I would say that's good news for Rashad White, uh, that they added a, a, an Edmonds who's been disappointing here the last uh, season or so. So uh, probably a good, a good sign for White that they're filling up some of these backfield spots with guys that aren't a huge threat to take over his job. With that being said... The free agent tracker with analysis, not just contract terms, actual analysis and spin on every signing, trenches included, secondary included, for free for everyone on the site right now. Uh, available carries tracker being updated. Available targets tracker for everyone in drafts being updated. Your projections being updated. Anything else on the site happening over the weekend for everyone right now? Yeah, I just went to went to the site because uh, Luis was bugging me about this Aaron Rodgers uh, profile because he wanted to get it up and I'm looking at the site and I don't see it there yet. So I'm gonna have to bug him now and see why, you know, I guess the trade is not official. So why are we posting it? But it is, it's going to happen, right, John, they're going to make that trade eventually. It's just that whether or not the jets are going to capitulate to what the Packers, uh, want, but, uh, uh, next week, maybe uh, late next week, I'll probably post the, uh, free agency winners and losers. It just sort of depends on how many guys are still, out there available uh, before, you know, kind of wrapping up the free agency because the free agency never really ends. It just sort of dies out because of all the free agents <laughs> that are, that are good or gone. So uh, just keeping those uh, rankings updated and uh, I'm sure I'll see you maybe next week for another podcast. And because of that, we will be back to wrap up all the fantasy signings that occur over the weekend. So two episodes for you, for everyone for the next few days until then we'll be back next week. And you know, be a little bit kind of what you want. We'll see you next time.